0: Peace be with you. Hey, welcome to Sojourn. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Marshall. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy and privilege uh, to be able to open God's word with you in eager anticipation that He, by His Spirit, will in fact speak to us through it and that we might be changed uh, one degree of glory to the next so that Jesus' name and fame might be known not only among us but through us to the world around us. And so, uh, again, glad to be with you. Um, I'm gonna do something that I, that I don't normally do, um, and, and this might make some of you feel uncomfortable, but we'll get through it. Um, if you're on the setup teardown crew, would you please stand for a second? Anybody? I know because it's got set up this morning, so stand up. Thank you so much. so uh, would you guys please sit? yeah you could sit so uh, you a lot of us, you know, show up uh, right around before when when this stuff starts, and we don't really see kind of all the 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 mania that goes into kind of making this happen. And it's it's not a terribly complex setup, but um, but sometimes you know things get started a little uh, bit later than they should, and doors are locked when they shouldn't be, and stuff like that happens from time to time. And this morning, in particular, was filled with challenges. And I just want to honor them. I want you guys to know who the people are that are serving you as we talk about love this morning from 1 Corinthians 13. Um, Make no mistake, you have benefited this morning from an act of sacrificial love on their part. And so, want to honor you guys in the context of this larger gathering. The same is true of the band. Um, it, It is honestly almost a miracle that this is happening as organized as it is, as it is happening right now um, in light of some of the challenges that we face this morning. But welcome to, to church planting. Welcome to Mobile Church. Uh, that's just uh, how we roll here. So if you're new, um, know that to be the case. And thank you for being gracious with us. Uh, again, we're, we're grateful um, that you're here. Uh, with all that said, we're going to jump right into to God's Word here in 1 Corinthians 13. And so if you'll allow me, uh, I'd like to say a word of prayer um, and ask the Lord, again, just to be with us. So, let's pray. Father, thank you, uh, again, for the opportunity, Lord, to be gathered together amongst your people, the place where your Spirit dwells, the place where your presence is, the place, place where your worship and, and this offering, the sacrifice of praise is given over to you, perfected by your Spirit even. And so, Lord, I pray that we would know that we are not alone in this moment. Lord, no matter what we've come in thinking, Lord, we are in your presence, in the presence of your people. And, Lord, when your people gather, you intend to do glorious, even miraculous things, Father. You intend to make what may have seemed impossible possible be it sanctification, be it uh, the raising of dead souls to new life in Christ. Lord, all of those things you accomplish as your people gather in light of your perfect word. And so we ask, God, that you would continue to do those things that only you can do among us this morning. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you haven't been around for a while, again, we've, we've, we've been in 1 Corinthians for, for a little stretch here, but um, what we've tried to do throughout this series is just kind of break 1 Corinthians down into some smaller subsections, and the section that we're in right now, Paul is dealing in particular with some questions that the Corinthians have about what it should look like when their church gathers together corporately, form, formally. And so, in one way, this is a very helpful portion of 1 Corinthians because it is telling us what this time should look like. And that section really sort of started in chapter 12. And what we've come to to see is that, like most of what has been happening throughout the church in Corinth in this letter, the Corinthians have a problem. They have a problem we come to know that they have questions, essentially, about what it means to exercise the spiritual gifts, right? So at the beginning of chapter 12, we come to find out that, this, that there are spiritual gifts among God's people. And that though those gifts are different, they're distinct, there's many different kinds, that it is the same God who is empowering all of them. So the source of the spiritual gifts is God Himself by His Spirit affording us those things through the work of Jesus. And we come to find out that that is not just true of some of the congregation in Corinth, but it's true of every member of the congregation in Corinth. Every member has a gift. Everyone, to some degree, in some way, has been empowered with a spiritual gift for what reason? Later on in chapter 12, it tells us so that the many members might make up one body. So the spiritual gifts are given so that the church of God might be united and in their unity might glorify God. And yet, like with most things in this young church in Corinth, it has been turned into something entirely different. You see, in Corinth, the struggle now is that the spiritual gifts, like many other things among them, have been used to classify one another. So if you experienced a particular gift, or if you were gifted in a certain capacity, you were given higher or more or greater degrees of honor amongst the congregation. Well, me, well I, I have the gift of prophecy. And Paul is writing in clear rebuke of that, that all of the stratification, all of the social stratification that is happening in Corinth, he is writing now to rebuke. And in fact, he tells them that these gifts have been given, in fact, for the opposite purpose that they happen to be using them for. And that thought is continued in 1 Corinthians 13 this idea that the spiritual gifts are given by God for His glory so that the church might be unified. And Paul goes on to say, essentially, that there is no more glorious end than when the spiritual gifts used to unify produce love among the people of God. You see, if there is no love there is no unity. If there is no love in the exercise of the gifts, then the gifts are in some ways rendered inglorious, ineffective. And that's what Paul goes on to say, right? So we finished chapter 12 with Paul saying this. He says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. He says, earnestly desire these things like prophecy, like tongues, like healing. He says, desire that those things would be among you and... I will show you a still more excellent way. What is Paul saying in saying that? He's saying that the gifts are less important than the manner in which we exercise them, which is why he'll go on to say this in the beginning of verse 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It is all the restraint in me right now to not just go pick up a drumstick and beat on that mercilessly so that you would know what he's talking about here. I think you could probably imagine it. He says, and if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to remove even mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So what's Paul saying? He's like, look, you might be the most gifted person in the church in Corinth, but if you have not love, you're obnoxious, you're nothing, and you you have nothing. You've gained nothing in that. And so without love, there is no gain. So Paul makes it pretty clear that to enter into the gathered church with ourselves at the center of our thinking is to not only harm the body, is to not only be annoying to those outside of us, but is also to lose for ourselves that which God purposes to do in us, that which God longs for us to experience in light of His Spirit-given glory through the gifts. And so Paul says, look, there's... (laughs) This thing called love is necessary in the corporate gathering. This thing called love is a necessary component of the gathered church of God. Without it, you got nothing. You gain nothing. You are nothing. And so what what is love? Well, Paul is going to describe it for us. Now here's the thing, most of us have heard this verse in one context and one context alone, a wedding ceremony. And I don't, listen, I don't begrudge that. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. It is describing for us what love should tangibly look like, visibly look like, right? And yet, when we divorce this from its context, we do lose a little something, don't we? So many of us go to weddings and we think, in order to experience love, we need to be married. Well, 1 Corinthians is being written to the people of God. So what that presupposes is that if you want to experience this kind of love, this sacrificial love, this true love, then where you go for that is not marriage, but to the people of God. You go to the gathering of believers. You go into the presence of those who have been themselves truly loved and who now show true love to one another. And so what at a wedding ceremony might be out there and unobtainable, or maybe at least not in our near future, brothers and sisters, is imminent in the body. And that does another thing to us too, doesn't it? It forces us to read it and go, have I been patient with the people in this room? Have I been kind towards the people in this room? Or have I envied them? Have I boasted and elevated myself over them in my gifting? Have I been arrogant, pridefully thinking that in my great knowledge of theology, I'm somehow more able to see and know the Lord? Have I insisted on my own way at any moment among God's people? That one hurts. Have I been resentful? Have I rejoiced at wrongdoing instead of the truth? Have I been willing to bear all things? Have I been willing to believe all things? Have I been willing to hope all things even when situations or people seem hopeless? Have I been willing to endure all things in the knowledge that love never ends? And all of a sudden, brothers and sisters, when we read that in that context, I don't know about you, but for me, that makes me deeply uncomfortable with some of the ways that I've interacted with you. There is repentance needed from me to you as individuals, as a corporate gathering, because I've not behaved in this way, certainly not consistently. Towards you all. Well, so this is what love looks like. This is embodied love. You see, here's here's something we also need to recognize as we read this. For the New Testament writers, love is a matter of behavior, not feeling. You see, again, we've been sold sort of this idea that love is ethereal, that you only know it when you feel it, when you sense it, when it's part of our our sensed, our felt, our emoted reality, right? You'll notice in here that it doesn't say love is when you get the butterflies. Or love is when the first kiss is electric. Or... Whatever else you could put in there. No, it's a list of actions. It's a list of behaviors. Meaning that love is shown in the way we behave. Meaning that there could be days when we don't feel loving and yet we behave lovingly. There could be days when setting up a musty old theater 30 minutes later than you were supposed to might not feel that great. And yet love is manifest in glorious proportion. So we need love. Paul makes that clear. We need love among us. If we exercise the gifts apart from love, we don't experience what God intended us to experience through the gifts in the first place. And He's shown us what love is, what it looks like, what it looks like to embody this concept of love, this other's directed action. And why is it important? Right? Why? Why do we need love? Why is love such a necessity for God's people? What is it that makes it so compellingly necessary for the church in Corinth to be reoriented, not around an elevation of the gifts, but a use of the gifts for the sake of love? Paul explains, verse 8, love never ends. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So why is it important that we get love? Well, because Paul says, look, all of these things that you're valuing, all of these things that you're setting up as systems by which you measure one another's contributions, all of these things that are setting you at odds, all of those things one day Will be gone. What you have made ultimate will ultimately fade away. He says, Look, there's going to come a day. There's going to come a day when we don't need prophecies, there's going to come a day where we don't need the tongues. There's going to come a day when the knowledge that we are given so far exceeds the knowledge that we might be given in this moment that it will be rendered almost, almost useless, only useful insofar as it supplements the fullness of knowledge that will be given to us in the day to come. And so he says, listen, all of these things will cease, but love, love never ends. And so he's saying, listen, look, everything that you, everything that you experience with regards to these gifts is both partial, not inaccurate, just partial, so it's not, it's not holistic, it's not full, right? These prophecies that we might receive, these tongues that we might hear, these, these healings, right? all of that is partial. Not inaccurate, just not comprehensive. And one day those things will fade in the light of the things that are comprehensive, in the light of the things that are not partial, but full, And that's why Paul says what he says in verse 11, and I think a lot of times we read verse 11, uh, especially to like young men that we want to mature or grow up quicker, right? Like maybe your mom printed this out and put it on your door and said, this is your memory verse for the next 14 years, you know? That's That's not what Paul is getting at here, although I think the principle stands, so listen to your parents. What's he saying? He's saying that there's a way in which we experience the world around us. There's a way in which even now we experience the kingdom of God that will feel childish in comparison to what we experience when we're mature. Right? When, when the promised work that God started in us through Jesus is completed, it, it, it's going to pale in comparison. And so Paul is, again, just saying, don't make these experiences ultimate because they will fade, but love will not. And that's why he concludes with verse 13. He says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Again, in the context of everything that Paul is saying, what does he mean when he says that? He's saying that there's a way in which we live now that will be different in the days to come. And so he's saying, look, for right now, right, while we're waiting for the Lord's return, while we're here in this gathered body of believers, when we're gathering together in eager anticipation of the day when the sons of glory will be revealed, it says in this time hope is a glorious and wonderful thing and it abides and it sustains right it says the same thing about faith in this age your faith is necessary and even strengthened by the spirit of god himself right first peter says that it's by faith We are being guarded by God's own power. And so Paul, right, he's he's not diminishing faith and hope by any means. He's just saying that they're only necessary for a time. Meaning that one day, faith will be sight. So we won't need it anymore. We won't need to have faith because all of God's promises, all of His glory will not be in some distant future or in some other reality or in some partial sense experienced in the church. But it will be seen fully and faith will no longer be a necessary component of our day-to-day life. And the same is True of hope, right? Just like faith will one day be sight, one day hope will be fulfilled hope. Right? Like one day, again, everything that God has promised us will be made true, will be made real, right? That inheritance that First Peter tells us is kept secure for us in a place where moth can't destroy and thief can't steal, right? That inheritance one day will actually come to us. And so we won't need to hope anymore because the time will have come. But love, Paul said it, didn't he? Love never ends. It will carry on. It will only be amplified. It will only be more purified in the age to come. And so, brothers and sisters, what Paul is telling us this morning is that the lone bridge, the lone bridge between now and the future glory of Christ's kingdom among us is love. If we don't have love, we lose what makes us a compelling community of hope. Because love, true love, right? Not, not the, the, the surface love, not the, not the love that doesn't require anything of us, not the love that doesn't ever confront us, right? True love. True love that abides, true love that is kind and patient, that doesn't envy, that doesn't boast, that doesn't insist on its own way, that isn't irritable, that isn't resentful, that rejoices with the truth, that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That love is eternal. And so when we taste it, brothers and sisters, when we pursue it and when we experience it, we get a taste of the divine. We get a taste of the future glory. And so, brothers and sisters, my hope, my earnest desire is that when we gather together, whether it's in this room or in our neighborhood parishes throughout the neighborhood of Montrose, my hope is that love would emanate from among us. And that is for both selfish and unselfish reasons. I want to experience as much of what will be glorious in eternity in the here and now as I can. Call me crazy. Call me selfish. I just do. It only heightens my expectation of the day to come. but in an unselfish way. Listen, we can we could upgrade the lights, right? We could pay musicians. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Actually, we couldn't, but that's a, that's a budget issue. We could get someone that preaches better than me. We could add programs could have a little slide going down the stairs. Pick your kids up at the bottom. Olivia personally requested that one, so. Right, we could do those things. And I'm, I'm not begrudging those who do, okay? So don't hear that. But all of those things, if done in the absence of love, are only bringing people into a knowledge of what is partial and not eternal. Jesus prayed that we might be known by our unity, And he was pretty clear that that unity is first and foremost primarily shown, made visible as we love one another. And so brothers and sisters, before I give myself to perfecting any kind of program, I want to give myself to perfecting as much as I can by the power of the Spirit what it means to love, what it means to be patient and kind, not envious, not boastful not insisting on my own way. And brothers and sisters, I I truly believe, I truly believe that the degree to which we experience that both in this room and in our neighborhood parishes as they gather, not only in this neighborhood, but all around our city, as we experience those things, the glory of God will be so utterly compelling for those who do not believe that the Lord will work a revival among us. And that revival will only be manifested in more love for God and for one another. And so let's earnestly desire the higher gifts. Let's ask the Lord to give us means and ways by which we can express love for one another by our tangible service to one another. But let us always do so, knowing that the more excellent way will always be, no matter to the degree that we are gifted, if it is manifested in love, then we will be doing what God has called us to do. We will be expressing what God has called us to express to one another and to the world around us, and it will be glorious as a foretaste of what we will experience eternally, because Jesus himself... Was patient with us, kind to us, self-sacrificing for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, Again, God, we're grateful to be gathered together. Lord, I pray that your love for us would be palpable. Lord, that as we come to the table, we would see what love embodied is. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that Jesus came and gave Himself for us. And so, love, God, we have a very clear picture of what love is. It is broken body. It is shed blood, even for the enemy. And so, God, I pray that as we pursue being a people of love, that that would never, ever be divorced from the glorious and wonderful knowledge that we are empowered by your Spirit to love even as we have been loved. God, that we don't have to love other people to try to earn your love. But God, that we have your love so we can actually just extend it freely to others. Because that well doesn't run dry. And so Father as we come to your table this morning. I pray Lord that we would come rejoicing. In the love that we behold. And the love that you call us. To extend and demonstrate to a watching world. Be gracious to us in that. Empower us by your spirit for that. And may we be found faithful on the day that you return. And Lord, haste the day when the faith will be sight. We pray all this in Jesus' good name. Amen.